Welcome to the Change Lives, Changing Lives podcast, a ministry of Locust Hill Baptist Church in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. My name is Michael Hodge, Senior Pastor at Locust Hill. At Locust Hill, we celebrate the change that God alone could bring in our lives, and we also recognize the calling to share that good news with others. Lives changed by Christ, changing lives by Christ. We welcome you to this podcast where we want to equip you to live in the reality of a life changed by Christ. Disciple making is at the core of a church's calling, and we want to take advantage of every resource we can to encourage you today. We invite you to join us for a service Sundays at 10.15 a.m., Wednesdays 6.30 p.m. Our church is located at 5534 Locust Hill Road in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. Our website is locusthillchurch.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how we can encourage you. Well, I hope you're having a great Sunday or whatever day you're able to listen to this recording. Welcome to this brief recap of the message that I've just shared with our church family and friends at Locust Hill Baptist Church in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. As I begin this recap, let me begin with this question. How many habits have you already today repeated? Maybe even this morning, as you got up today, as you were going through your daily routine, how many things that you have already done were just on autopilot? Now, the good thing about those autopilot aspects of our lives is it allows us to focus our much-needed brain cells on those more demanding things of life. But the question is this, what happens when this is true of our faith? What happens when our faith moves into that autopilot, habits of our day kind of perspective? That's the question I started with today in our sermon at Locust Hill. What happens when our faith goes on autopilot? And then connected with that question, what if God did the unexpected? One of the prayers that I have as I preach and as I teach as well on Wednesdays, as I share these recordings with you, is that everyone, regardless of your spiritual background, feels welcome to join the conversation. Whether this is a new adventure for you or it's been the joy of your life to know and to study and be formed by the Word of God, everyone is welcome. The book of Acts is our focus, and the book of Acts captures the earliest stories of the New Testament church. What does it mean to have your life defined by faith? What are the implications of walking with Jesus? Those are the realities that face the New Testament church in Acts, and it still faces us today. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God fell on every believer. And now in Acts chapter 3, We're going to narrow the focus to one man impacted by Jesus. Before we even read that, I want you to hear this today. One of the important observations in our text this morning will be this. In the last chapter, Acts 2, the focus was on the crowd. But in this chapter, as I just said, it's about one guy. God cares for both. He cares for the multitude who are like sheep without a shepherd. And he cares for you, one individual. And so Acts chapter 3 is where we're studying this morning, and I'm going to just cover a few quick highlights of what I share with the church family. If there's anything that resonates with you and you want to dive in a little bit deeper, you can go to our Facebook page, or you can go to our website, locusthillchurch.org, or you can even search out our YouTube page. Here's the verse. It begins in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple 
at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now that common used image of going up to the temple, there certainly were routes that made this physically true. As you move from the valley and move up into the city, it is definitely a climb. And the reason for their journey was the hour of prayer. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to just follow along with me. Go ahead and look there at verse 1. What does it say about them? It says they were going at that hour of prayer at the ninth hour. They were following the routine that they had been accustomed to in the history of their Judaic faith. And so they came to the temple that day praying to the God of Judaism, the God of Christianity, the same God. And yet only the latter received the Messiah sent by God, Jesus of Nazareth. And as I look at their willingness to go and to pray, to make that a key aspect of who they are, even as New Testament believers, I would say this, we bring our worship to Jesus in prayer. That's a burden that I have for our church family. So much so, if you visit our church, you're going to receive a gift. And within that packet is the book, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. On Thursday mornings at 6.45 a.m., There's a group of men who gather with me in the fellowship hall, and we just open the word together, and we pray in response to what we discover. The word of God is the script that guides our response to him in prayer. And so we're filled with wonder as we bring our worship to Jesus, but also we bring our helplessness. And that certainly is evident in the story of Acts chapter 3, because there we learn about a lame man who came with an expectation that day to receive some spare change from those that were traveling up to the temple. Almsgiving was a key part of their life and their practice, and so he very likely would have been provided for. And so he came that day expecting to benefit from the generosity of the temple goers. He came helpless, dependent. He desperately needed the kindness of each person. And as we observe his desperation and helplessness, it really points to our posture in prayer. We're filled with wonder as we bring our helplessness to Jesus. We're pleading with him in prayer. And they were met that day by this man, completely dependent on those that came. He came expecting a few coins. Instead, he received a direct word of healing. And think about it. He was just going through the motions. He was following instructions like a shampoo bottle. Rinse, lather, repeat. There wasn't any reason for him to believe that today would be any different than any of the other days where he had come. But Peter, as he and John were walking along, he looks at the man and he says, look at us. Now, if you've ever encountered beggars as you're going around town, they certainly are all around our downtown area. One of the things that we're often reluctant to do is establish eye contact. But what did Peter do? Peter fixed his eyes on the man, and he demanded that he do the same. And number one, he told the man what he didn't have, but number two, he told him what he could do. And he said this in verse 6, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he told him to get up, to stand to his feet. The healing power of Peter was only through the power of Christ in him. And so as we look in the story, and you can look in your Bible at verses 6, 7, and 8, what we see is praise erupting in this man. This man was helpless and desperate. He was lying along the route, and in that moment, God's servants passed by. And his life 
was radically changed by God. The starting point of praise in this chapter is his response. He looked at what was formerly broken and failing him, and now he saw the change. We're filled with wonder as we look within and we see God's change in us. But beyond the personal side of this, he certainly could look within. He could look at his physical body and say, something is radically different. This Jesus is worthy of praise. But we're also filled with wonder and praising God as we celebrate God's activity with others. Because as we look at his reaction here, I want us to notice this very clear thing. It says, he began to walk and he entered the temple with them. Now, I'll have to admit, I really didn't pay attention to this the first time that I read through, but as I was just studying this text again and again this week, this fact really jumped out at me. Consider the contrast of events. As the story began, this paralyzed man was left outside of the temple. He wasn't able to join the temple goers, walking into the temple. For him, this daily observance was nothing more than a means to live, to feed himself. But God. But God had a different plan for this man that day. He came expecting to go through the routine of his daily life, just getting enough to get by, and then God moved. Prior to his healing, he was an outsider. He was an outside observer. And now, he joined them as he prayed. And then I want us just to notice the contagious aspect of this praise. In verse 9 it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They witnessed it. They saw something. And the watching crowd that day certainly didn't understand what they had seen. But God revealed his power. And that's our prayer today. It's our prayer each and every time that we gather as a church family. That God will reveal his power again. Though the watching world may not comprehend it, we pray, do it again, Lord. And yet, the question is, what will they do with this? So this watching crowd, they're seeing all this happening, but maybe this is the question. Will they be filled with wonder or will they miss God? If you look at the text in verses 11 and 12, here's essentially what takes place. The healing happens. Everyone starts looking where? At Peter and John. They were looking at Peter and John as if they were the ones who were the ones making this healing happen as if the miracle was by their doing. And Peter and John, Peter being the spokesperson here, he was shocked by their reaction, and then it motivated him more than ever to point them to Jesus. David Garland in the Teach the Text commentary writes these words. He says, quote, Peter does not soak up the glory that the crowd showers on him and John for performing this miracle. Instead, he takes the opportunity to confront the crowd with their heinous sin of crucifying the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, Peter refused to make the story about him. They were filled with wonder at this point, but they were filled with wonder over the gift, but missing God, the one who gave the gift. They needed a big view of God. This idea reminds me of the very familiar image from C.S. Lewis's writings. In C.S. Lewis's book, Prince Caspian, He wrote these words as the interchange between Lucy and Aslan. As she approaches, Aslan says, Welcome, child. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Well, that's because you're older, little one, answered Aslan. Not because you are, asked Lucy. Aslan replied, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. 
end quote. What a great image. The more we grow, the bigger God gets. That's the prayer we have, that as we continue to walk along in our faith, we will continue to grow in our understanding of just how great our God is. But on the flip side, if we're not getting to know Him more each day, if we're not growing in our faith, our worship of God gets smaller and smaller. So we're filled with wonder, but we can miss God. How do we miss God? We can focus on people, or we can even focus on religious activity, because they said of Peter and John, is it because of their power or piety? You see, even religious activity can get in the way. And folks, if Christ is not the focus of our worship, we can know this, the Holy Spirit is not empowering our worship. Why? Because the Spirit of God is always focusing our eyes to the Son of God. Well, here's the prayer that we have for this message, that we would see our turn in God's story being filled with wonder in Jesus alone. And what will come as that happens? Well, the text says in 17, 18, 19, 20, one of the key phrases, that times of refreshing may come. Faith in Jesus alone is our hope for healing. And yes, in this story, we see a physical healing. But what we know to be true is in Christ, we're healed from the condemnation of our sin. And then as we receive that hope of healing, the forgiveness of our sins, then we can experience the passion for living. All of the prophets, everything that Peter spoke of, pointed to Jesus as our Savior. That's our passion. Let me close with this. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in the early Great Awakening in our country, and he was known for this prayer. Oh God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Imagine how that would impact our lives each day if we made our choices and reacted to life's challenges with eternity in mind. What's our turning God story? Who is this story all about? Well, we can all be guilty of making the story about ourselves our preferences, our desires, our likes or dislikes. But in his response to the healed man and the crowd, Peter refused to let the story be all about him. He refused to let his story become the central story. Here's the questions. What steps do we need to take to move ourselves out of the spotlight? How have our demands for our preferences, our likes, dislikes, even that cause division? What adjustments need to be made so that I prioritize God's activity over my preferences? I want to thank you for taking these few minutes just to walk back through some of the high points of the sermon today. If there's anything that resonated with you today, I encourage you, go back and listen to the full message. We're going to walk through the book of Acts, Lord willing, chapter by chapter, allowing this example of the early church to teach us today. I hope you can join us. We meet on Sunday mornings, Locust Hill Baptist Church, 10:15 a.m. for our worship service. You can join us online or you can join us in person. We invite you to join us this week.